On behalf of Hospice of the Piedmont, welcome to the E-Series, an educational podcast aimed at engaging our community, exploring relevant topics, and educating about ways to connect with our organization. My name is Ryan Biagini, and I am your host. Today we begin this installment of the E-Series with Conversations in Care, Bridging the Unknown, a conversation between CEO of Hospice of the Piedmont, Trent Cockrum, and Hospice Nurse Liaison, Joanne Scott. Let's get started. Trent joined Hospice of the Piedmont in 2013 as the organization's third CEO since its founding in 1981. Prior to joining the organization, Trent worked for 16 years in long-term care with Triad Medical Services in Yadkinville, overseeing operations and management of a statewide network of almost 2,000 long-term care beds. Most recently, he led the organization in navigating a merger with Hospice of Randolph. Joanne will celebrate 20 years with Hospice of the Piedmont this coming January. During her tenure, she has served as both an RN case manager in home care and team leader at our inpatient facility. Currently, she works as an admissions nurse and referral liaison for new and interested patients coming on service. Uh, thank you to, your, to you both for, for being with us today. Thank you very much, Ryan. Um, I certainly appreciate the opportunity to be with uh, you, Joanne, and have a thoughtful conversation about a wide ranging topic um, for our viewers. Uh, as Ryan mentioned, um, this is a beginning of an initial series of conversations where we'll explore what oftentimes I am asked um, as the leader of the organization, which is what, what can someone who receives hospice care actually experience or expect? not only from the patient's perspective, but also from the family's perspective. And so um, I'm really privileged to be with you, someone who has had a long tenured um, experience with our organization to begin exploring those. So I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you today. Um, you know, it, it occurs to me in, in that 20 year span of time that you've experienced a lot, certainly, you've seen a lot, but I suspect that there is a common thread that, you know, sort of um, exists with all of the patients and families that we work with during the course of any given year. M might you sort of talk a little bit about that? Yes, I, I think, um, first of all, thanks so much for this opportunity because I love the chance to talk about what I do because I love what I do. And <clears throat> I think if I had to choose one of the greatest needs or sort of common threads that I notice as I have those first encounters with patients and family members is the need to be heard and the need to be understood. You know, there are so many different things that have happened uh, in a patient's life up until that moment when we first meet. And we just need to take time to hear that. We need to take time to understand what has brought them to this place in time and that we are there to start a relationship with them. And that goes both ways and develop a partnership with them. Sure. You know, I, I think a lot of times when people think about um, or even begin contemplating um, hospice services, mm -hmm. um, it conjures a lot of real fear and a significant amount of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, has that been your experience? Yes. 
I think that there are many fears that patients face. Um, they fear the unknown. Uh, they fear putting their trust in a, a group of people who they have never met before. Mm-hmm. Um, they fear sometimes the medications that are involved with care. Um, they fear uh, h- how their disease or how their illness will play out. Um, and they need reassurance that our team has expertise and we have um, a real heart for understanding what their experience has been, understanding what the barriers might be, what what their fears and concerns might be, and starting to just dialogue about those things, to try to move past those so that a patient isn't feeling so much like a patient, but like a person. Oh, so that's a powerful statement. Uh, feeling like a uh, like an individual again, not as a patient, you know, uh, oftentimes is the case. And I'm curious about your experience. Um, folks who are coming into our service um, at Hospice of the Piedmont or Hospice of Randolph may have had, you know, years or decades of, you know, significant illness, um, either um, a variety of different types of illnesses, right? And their struggles have been varied and asundry. Um, and so talk a little bit about that. I mean, you know, that experience that led them there. Yes, you know, and I find that, that patients have, um, you know, sometimes complicated histories with treatments that sometimes put them in positions where they're, in treatment centers or they're in hospital settings or they're in, um, you know, hospitals, doctor's offices. And that can be difficult because it, it's, you know, sometimes makes uh, the disease take center stage and the demands of treatment and that pathway sometimes um, becomes this big elephant in the room, and we forget that there's a person there who has needs and they have wants and priorities and hopes and dreams. And so that can get lost in the shuffle. Um, sometimes those, those needs and desires and wants can sort of take a back seat to the pathway of treatment. And so I think so much of what we do when we're first starting this, this um, relationship with patients in, in our department um, is trying to get at what what are their their hopes and dreams and desires um, and and oftentimes those things have nothing to do with their diagnosis and their treatments we want to uncover that and we want to start to get you know reprioritize that and partner with them and in, in taking a path that will um, reprioritize those things I think that's powerful. It's the difference really. And, you know, uh, oftentimes people think of hospice as the difference between doing nothing and, and, and curative treatment when reality it's about how we organize your priorities to live a much more fulfilling life. Um, Right. I mean, you know, one of the things that, that I, um, 
that I uh, sort of caught on to as you were talking is, uh, you know, you talked a little bit about different care settings, right? Mm -hmm. um, so there's a, you know, many people may have a variety of different services provided in an in a outpatient clinic setting, or they may have uh, in and outs of, from to and from the hospital multiple times over the course of seven years, so uh, several years. So we're, we're talking about a setting of care. Um, so we're talking about an individual transition, but we're, then we also are talking about a physical transition of care. You know, 95% of all the services that we provide during the course of, of a year to more than 2,000 patients each year is actually in a private home. Uh, could be also in a nursing home or could be in an assisted living, but it doesn't happen in what we conceptualize oftentimes as a traditional care setting. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when I think about that, I, I often think about us as individuals, right? We, we, we would never pick up the phone, um, call um, a, a person we've never met before and say, hey, I think I need some help, right? And won't you come over to my house and help me? Now we might do that for a neighbor. We might do that for somebody who um, we know from church or, or from some other social group, but we would never just pick up the phone um, that we Googled a number for um, and, and call an organization and say, hey, I need some help. I want you to come over. So we're inviting, you know, we're, people are inviting us into an incredibly intimate time in their life in an incredibly intimate setting, right? So talk a little bit, if you can, about how you how you navigate that right i mean that's a really sacred thing it is and we don't take it lightly you know when we walk into a patient's home we are invited guests and this is their space and um, we we want to immediately make them understand that we respect that and um and a lot of times you know we, we just start conversation um, because our ultimate goal is to get to know a person and get to know that person in their space and also get to know their, their people, their support system, their family members, their friends, the people that they invite into that space with them. And they all sort of come to that place, uh, that first meeting with different fears, different expectations, different thoughts, um, different experiences. Uh, so, we want to try to uncover those things. It's always, the patient is always gonna guide the plan of care. And we want to ask them permission for who can be a part of that meeting, who can be a part of this relationship that we're forging together. Um, and then once we understand who their safe people are to talk to and, and to include in this relationship, then we can open that the dialogue up for their loved ones to talk about what their thoughts and their fears and their concerns are. Because we have to build their trust. We have to build trust with the patient that we are there for them and that they are still in control. And we are invited guests um, to come alongside of them. And we also have to build that trust uh, with the family members and the loved ones. Because when you love someone, you don't you you know that they can be vulnerable when they don't feel well or when they're dealing with life-limiting illness or chronic Ill illness and you want to make sure that they uh, they know that um, that 
they can trust us and we're going to listen and we're going to hear them. Sure. You know, you've touched on a couple different things there that I might want to revisit. Um, we talked to, you talked a little bit about relationship. We as an organization build a relationship with a family. We'll come back to that in just a moment, but you talked a bit about the family, right? And, and I don't think any of us and any of our viewers can talk about family without understanding that there are many dynamics that work within a family group, right? Um, and so I suspect in that 20 year span of time, you've worked with lots of families who have lots of very different dynamics. Mm-hmm. So how do you, you know, how do you begin to navigate that on the very front end? You know, we all, we'll have another conversation in our next uh, installment with one of our social workers, an invaluable member of the, of the hospice care team, um, as, as they all are. Um, but, but, you know, how do you begin to navigate those perhaps difficult dynamics that are happening. And, and, and why is that important? It's, it's so important because um, we're, we're building this relationship together. And so I think the idea that we're going to walk into a patient's space in their home on the first visit and every single member of that visit is going to be on the same page is not really always a realistic or achievable goal. But generally speaking, when, when, when we all love and care about that patient, we can come to some common ground, some place to start, some place, um, some commonalities that we can all agree upon to start building this relationship as we move forward. So, so quick question, do you, do you find often that the, that, that common component really is I'm, I'm guessing, and this seems really simple, but, but perhaps it isn't. Um, is it really the patient? Is that the most common, you know, is it the person who, that we're really talking to, right? Um, there, there's all this noise sometimes around them, but um, perhaps some familial discord on either side. But, but it, is that where we find, where you find um, in your experience, where you find that common component of how we get everybody to the to, you know, to, to the middle, right? It is. It's always about the patient. And that's, that's the central focus. And that's, that's the tie that binds all members of this relationship, all members of the team and the family. Right. And so um, as long as we keep the patient the focus and we're hearing the things that, the, that are important to the patient, um, then we can start about the, the task of, locking arms together to focus on those things. Sure. So going back a couple steps, you, you, you made mention of uh, needs, wants, and priorities. And, you know, we all, I think, probably can relate to those three words and what they mean to us as individuals. Um, what, 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 in your experience um, as an admission nurse for Hospice of the Piedmont, Hospice of Randolph, what, what do those terms mean? to someone who's coming into our service, not only for the patient, but also their family, needs, wants, and priorities? I think when I think of a patient's needs and their wants, it, it, it gets sort of to the heart of, of who they are. It gets to the heart of, you know, in this lifetime, it's all made of moments. And we want to get to the bottom of in, in your moments, where do you want to be? Who do you want to be spending these moments with? 
what do you want this to look like? Uh, are there dreams that have yet to be fulfilled that need some attention that had been sort of on the back burner and now we need to bring them to the front? Um, you know, just shifting our focus to the things that matter most to a patient um, and, and trying to make a real concerted effort to focus on those things uh, so that they feel fulfilled. In, in your experience, I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot. Um, in your experience, you know, do you find that the things that are most important are these, you know, overwhelmingly impossible goals? Um, what, what are some of the things that in your experience that have been the most important things for, for people to prioritize? Family time, time with loved ones, having being in their space to build those memories, um, being with the people that they love. Those are the those are where the the real magical memories are made, and that's one of the beauties of of the hospice program is it meets patients in their space and allows them to, to sort of build those memories right where they are uh, with the people that they love the most, spending time with those that they love. Sure. You know, our, our mission as an organization is pretty simple, right? Um, it's uh, for those of our viewers who don't know, it's to connect individuals and their families to the care they need on the terms they choose. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, you are oftentimes the, the very first person that they might be seeing as a representative of our organization in the home. And as you've already mentioned, you're, you're talking uh, to them about a lot of fears, perhaps, a lot of uncertainties. Mm -hmm. um, you're dispelling some myths and misconceptions. And I want to sort of go back to a couple of those that you've already mentioned, or at least one of them for sure. Um, you know, people oftentimes have great fear of, of, of hospice as it relates to medication. Right. Um, and what are some of the things that you see and how do you begin to help navigate those discussions? I have found that there are so many myths and fears and misconceptions. Um, sometimes it involves medications. Um, and I find patients are often very relieved to know that hospice has a very generous covered drug formulary. And so um, many of their baseline medications are often covered and very much continue during their care with hospice. Uh, sometimes patients fear the medicines that we might prescribe. And I can assure, resoundingly assure patients that we have a fabulous team of doctors and nurse practitioners whose life has been spent in this specialty they understand medications. They understand the balance between medications, um, achieving our goal and limiting unwanted side effects. And they are masters at managing these medications so that a patient has comfort and still has quality. And so uh, we don't want patients fearing um, loss of medicines that they've, that they've taken for years and years and years 
or fear of adding medications that they don't, that they're afraid of because we are very dedicated to, um, you know, cautious and careful and helpful management of their illness with their medications. Sometimes patients are afraid they're going to lose their connection to their physicians who they've had a relationship with in the community for years. And, and that's just not the case. I mean, they're not going to lose their doctors. Their doctors stay their doctors. They're gaining some, some providers from hospice that have an expertise for palliative care, but they're not going to lose their physicians. So a lot of that first visit when we, when we meet with patients in their home for that first time is just trying to uncover, are there some things that you've heard about hospice that you're afraid of or things that don't feel right that you've heard about us? Might they be myths? Might they be misconceptions? Can we dispel those fears and alleviate those so we can start moving forward to see if we can find a way to build this relationship? So, you know, it, it, it takes a while to develop a relationship, right? I mean, I think it's um, fair to say that you don't show up um, at the door and um, everybody welcomes you in like you're their long lost cousin, right? Um, there's oftentimes some, perhaps some trepidation involved. And so as you begin, you know, understanding those fears and beginning to have a dialogue about needs, wants and priorities that sometimes are rooted in, in, in what they believe perhaps that is, that is easily dispelled and some is rooted in, in, in other considerations that are equally important maybe addressed by other members of the team. But, but what do you see over that span of time? What, what do you see happening with that, with the patient or the family? Um, are they, uh, you know, do, do they begin to, 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 um, do you see an assuaging of their, of their fears and anxieties over this span of time? And, and, and how much time are we actually talking about? I mean, this, this doesn't sound like an insignificant amount of time to accomplish all of these things. No. You know, our relationship with patients um, can span um, a, a vast majority, months, sometimes more, and so we, we just start the journey on the first admission visit. And, um, and I think the key is, is just to show the heart of it. You know, we can get wrapped up a little bit in all the details and the minutia, but um, conveying to a patient that you care you care what their experience has been that led them to the moment when myself and my team first walks in the door. You care about the fears that they bring to the table, some of which may be true and some may not. You care about addressing those and you care about discovering what matters to them as we move forward. And when that care comes through, when the heart of it comes through, um, then we just start to build trust sort of one brick at a time. Thank you for joining us for part one of our discussion, Conversations and Care, Bridging the Unknown between Trent and Joanne. Join us next time as we conclude this conversation exploring the typical hospice experience 
of families receiving our services. Until then, I'm Ryan Biagini, and this has been the E-Series. <laughs>